I always like that video because it uh, describes God creating the world as though it was something that was exciting and fun that he enjoyed. And that's an accurate description. Uh, You'll remember that uh, at each day of creation, God looked at all that he had created and said it's good, that it was was an exciting and a good thing. And this really is a a beautiful world and a beautiful universe that our Lord uh, created. Earlier this week in one of my blog posts, I I asked uh, readers to share some of the places they've lived or traveled to that they consider the most beautiful on this planet. And some, some uh, mentioned places that, uh, that were in common and places I'd been to. For instance, Hawaii was mentioned more than any place else. And if you've ever been there, you know it's a beautiful place. I took Monisa there for our 20th anniversary. And another place that was mentioned by more than one person was Alaska. And uh, Alaska is a place I wouldn't want to live, but I have enjoyed visiting it. It is just incredible scenery. And, and when you travel around this world, and even within America, you realize that this is a diverse planet. And it's amazing how the mountains, and people mention the mountains of, you know, the Carolinas and Appalachia and that area. The mountains can be absolutely breathtaking. And yet uh, the Sonora Desert and so on out in the southwest has its own beauty, and they're polar opposites, yet all of them are incredibly beautiful. I remember when uh, we were in our 20s and considering whether or not to leave Kentucky and move to Sumter about 30 years ago, one of the things I was struggling with was the beauty of the mountains in Sumter's flat, and and, uh, we have all kinds of hardwoods and colors in the mountains, and Sumter has pine trees, and that's about it. And uh, But I remember Bill Mackey, who grew up in Lancaster, is, is my mentor, saying, Steve, but listen, one of the things you have in the Carolinas is you have these absolutely beautiful sunsets. And he's right. And several people uh, mentioned that in, in, in response to my blog. They talked about the beautiful sunsets, whether it's at the ocean or, or even around here. Sometimes it's just gorgeous or the full moon. And um, so it, it really is, when you think about it, a beautiful place God created for us to live. And just like the video indicated, the last thing God created was what? Us. And at the end of each day of creation, God looked at everything and said, it's good. But after he made us, he looked at everything, including us, and he said, what? It's very good. It's very good. This this world is a beautiful place. And the truth is, you and I as human beings, as the ultimate of God's creation, if you will, we have a very special place in all of His creation. But even though we have a special place, the reality is we are still created beings. He is still the Creator. He is God. We are what God has created, just like the rest of the universe. Special? Yes. Different? Yes. Still created beings. And here's one of the keys to life. Learning to accept, now listen, learning to accept our place as human beings in this universe while at the same time recognizing God's rightful place as the creator of the universe and all that's in it, including us. Now, a lot of people don't want to do that. Some of you struggle to do that. And I want to suggest at the heart of the struggle that men and women have in life, 
at, at the core of bad decisions and bad living is this struggle that we as human beings have with, with accepting our rightful place. Because we want the world to revolve around us. We, we want to think that we're the center of it all. And so we struggle n- not to say, well, yeah, I believe there's a God. or We don't even struggle to say, well, I believe there's a Creator necessarily. But we struggle to give God His rightful place and to accept our true place in this scheme of things. That, that The essence of our problem is we want to be more than something different than what we actually are. And it causes people to make a lot of bad decisions and live life less than it was intended. So understanding God's place and our place is the key to understanding life and living life as God intended. Now, there's one Bible verse that summarizes all that. In just a moment, we're going to study Colossians 1, so I invite you to open your Bible there. But look at this verse here on the screen while you do that. The Bible says, The earth is the Lord's. And all it contains, that little word A-L-L is big because it includes everything, including me and you. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Understanding the way the universe functions is a recognition and acceptance of that reality, that God is the creator and everything in this world is His. All of it. All of it. All of it. None of it is mine. None of it is yours. All of it is God's. And that includes me and includes you, every person who dwells in this world. So this month we're going to focus on learning what the Bible says about our place and God's place and the implications of that for how we live. And we're doing that for some reasons. One, we want to make sense of life, understand life. We want to be able to make better decisions. And as believers, we want to live in such a way that we honor God. And we cannot do that if we don't accept our place and understand God's place and then live out of that. Now, real quickly, if you're struggling with accepting this truth, if you're struggling, and sometimes even believers struggle with it, of giving God His rightful place as Creator, as God, as Lord, And you're struggling not only with that, but accepting your place in it as one that belongs to Him, as His created being, as you not being the center of the universe. Then I want you to think about this verse that will be on the screen and is in your notes from Psalm 147 where it says that God counts the number of the stars and gives names to all of them. Think about that a minute. How many stars are there in the universe? How many stars exist in all of creation? We don't know. Best estimates are this. Let me illustrate it for you. If you counted, now listen, you counted every grain of sand on every beach and in every desert on planet earth, multiplied that number by 10, best estimates are that's how many stars exist in the created universe. (laughs) It's a big place, isn't it? Not only a beautiful place, but a big place. And notice the scripture says God counts them and names every one of them. What makes you think you're in control? 
What makes you think you're anywhere near being what God is? And yet, we struggle to accept who God is and who we are in the created order of things. And all of our decisions grow out of our understanding of this reality. And the more we understand it and accept it and submit to it, the better decisions we make, the more we bring honor to God, the better our life is. But the more we argue with it and struggle with it, want to be the master of our own destiny and all of those good sayings, the more we mess up. Steve Jobs. Most of you know who he was. Founder of uh, and CEO of Apple. Got your iPhones here today? Steve Jobs. He died in 2011 from cancer. Now, Steve Jobs, what's interesting was the, there's a real possibility, in fact, there's a probability that his death could have been prevented if he had not been so arrogant and stubborn. Steve Jobs was brilliant. Brilliant. Creative. Driven. But he was also a control freak and obsessive. And one of the things he obsessed over was food. Now, not in terms of eating so much and being heavy because he was slim. But he obsessed over the kind of food that he would eat and it fed into this sense of perfectionism and control that was a big part of his life. And so he would often experiment with unusual or strange diets. For instance, there was a period in his life when for two weeks all he ate was apples. In October of 2003, a scan revealed that he had a rare form of pancreatic cancer that was very slow growing and was almost always curable with prompt surgery. He decided not to have the surgery because he wanted to be in control. He didn't like feeling powerless. In fact, in his, autobi- in his official biography, he said, I really didn't want them to open my body, so I tried to see if a few other things would work. He went on a strict vegan diet. He ate lots of fresh carrots and drank a lot of fruit juices. Did that for nine months. The whole time, his family and friends pleading with him to have the surgery, but he refused. After nine months, no improvement. July the following year, nine months later, he agreed to have the surgery, but by then it was too late because the cancer had spread beyond the pancreas. And while his fortune enabled him to have aggressive treatment in the years that followed, he was never again for a day of his life free of cancer. And at 56 years old, he died because of his own stubbornness and determination to be in control. There's a lot of us who live on some level sort of like that. Want to be in control. Struggle to submit to the truth that God is God and we're created being. 
to understand God's place and our rightful place in the universe. And we argue with God and we fight with God. Now, how do we do that? Well, there's certain things that God says, things God wants us to do, values He wants us to live by, decisions He wants us to make, practices that He wants us to practice. And we argue, we argue, we argue with God because we want to be in control. And we don't like anybody telling us what to do, even God. That's the heart of our problem, is our struggle to accept who we are and who, who God is. And yet, even though we're not in control, and when you think about the universe and the vastness of it, I'm one little speck in this big old beautiful place God created, yet God says, I'm special, you're special, all the people he created are special, we are special. In spite of all that, we're special. I love the way it says it in Psalm 8 when, when, when the psalmist almost in, almost in, in praise cried out, when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, God, when I look at everything you created, all you've done, it's moon and stars which you ordained, what is man? When I look at the vastness, the bigness of the, the universe, what is humanity that you take thought of him? And yet God does. God does. All you have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus is the evidence that God thinks of us. He's, he's the evidence that, that we're special. Do you remember Jesus saying that the hairs on our head are numbered? How many hairs are there on planet Earth? I don't know. I looked at the world population clock last night before I went to bed. Just under 7.2 billion people on planet Earth. Now, a few of them look like a few of you. Not much to count. But 7.2 billion people on planet Earth, and you number up all the hairs on all those heads, and God says, Jesus said that God counts every one of them. We matter. You look at the cross. We matter. We're important to God. Now, we're not God. We're not the center of the universe. So stop arguing with God about it. The whole world doesn't turn around you or your grandkids. But we are special. And Jesus did so much more for us than simply die on the cross to save us. I want you to see that in Colossians 1. Do you have your Bible open there? Colossians 1, 2 verses, verses 16 and 17. The Bible says, For by Him, by Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, now listen, all things have been created through Him and what? What does it say? What, church? All things been created through Jesus and for Him. He is before all things, and in, in Him all things hold together. In a few weeks we're going to celebrate Christmas. Jesus did not begin at Christmas. 
Christmas is when we celebrate the incarnation, Jesus taking upon himself human flesh. Jesus existed before Bethlehem. Jesus is eternal. And in this passage, the Bible says that everything in the heavens and earth, everything on this planet and everything in the universe was created by him. That Jesus is the agent of creation. And that he created everything that is both visible and invisible. Everything we can see with the human eye and those things that we cannot see with the human eye. That he created humans and non-humans. He talks in verse 16 about thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, the, the angels, the other sphere of existence. He created all of it. He's the agent. Created through him and for him. For his pleasure and for his purpose. Now, here's the thing. One of the reasons so many of us struggle to have the life God wants us to have, to live a fulfilled and meaningful life, is because we make life about us first and foremost. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the lessons we learn is that life is first and foremost about Him. And when we live it that way, the amazing irony is we find beauty, joy, Peace, purpose, contentment. As Jesus said in John's gospel, an abundant life. It's what Jesus was talking about when he said the person who holds on to his life will lose it, but the one who loses it for his sake discovers it. Do you know what the word futile means? Basically, it means it doesn't fulfill its purpose. We all own things, and we want them to function well. We want them to fulfill their purpose. That's when things work better. We have a purpose in life. I'm going to talk about Rick Warren in a minute, but many of you have read his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, and the opening sentence in that book is, it's not about me, it's not about us. It's about God. Now, most of us in this room are believers. I understand those of you who are not followers of Christ, you might be struggling a little bit to understand what I'm saying. Listen, stay with me. But those of you who are believers, you're supposed to already know know this, and yet we still struggle to live out that truth, don't we? It's the human predicament. It's what sin does to us. Jesus existed before anything was created because he couldn't create everything if he didn't exist before. Notice it says in verse 17 that he is before all things, not only preeminent over everything, but he existed before everything. Or as Jesus himself said in John 17, when he was praying the night before his crucifixion, he said, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. God, when I get back, to where I came from, I'll be sharing with you the glory that I had with you before the world even existed. In Revelation 22, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And here's what I want you to get. Not only is Jesus eternal and is He the Creator and he, is He the authority, but the permanence of our universe, the permanence of our existence rests on Jesus more than gravity or any other law of physics 
Notice he says in verse 17, not only is he before all things, but in him all things hold together. Now, what does all this mean? Well, it means that Jesus is preexistent before creation. He is eternal. He is the creator. He is the ultimate authority. He is the ongoing sustainer of life and of the universe. And that applies to everything in this universe, the world and all that's in it, including those of us who live on it, that He is our creator. He is our eternal God. He is our ultimate authority. And at the core of our struggles is our unwillingness to live out of that truth. We believers are too often fighting that battle that we should have settled when we said yes to Jesus Christ. It's all God's. He created it all. It's all His, and that includes me and everything that I am, everything that I have in life. And yet we want to argue with God about it. You know, a, a word we use a lot in church to summarize this, this whole principle is the word lordship. Lordship. It's a good word that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Lordship. That means he's the Lord of my life, and therefore I'm to live my life to fulfill his will and his purpose. He's the Lord of my decisions, therefore my decisions are to honor him. He's the Lord of my morality and my behavior, therefore my lifestyle is to be godly. He's the Lord of my relationships, therefore I am to see people the way he sees them and treat them the way he wants me to treat them. He's the Lord of my money and my giving, Therefore, tithing is natural, and how I use the rest, I get his guidance on that as well. Because everything is his. I mentioned Rick Warren a moment ago, pastor at Saddleback Church in California, one of the largest churches in America, a contemporary church that he, he started some years ago. <coughs> um. His book, The Purpose Driven Life, best you know, was on the bestsellers list for three years running. How many of you have read Purpose Driven Life? About half this audience. It's estimated that one out of four Americans have read that book. He's one of the most influential believers on planet Earth. When he and Kay first married... <clears throat> And he became a pastor. They started tithing 10%. Second year of their marriage, they increased it to 11%. Next year of their marriage, they increased it to 12% and so on. They've always been very generous givers. When the purpose-driven life went ballistic, if you will, he made millions. Millions. Not just two or three million millions. You get the picture? A lot of money. And he suddenly had a lot of influence and he prayed about what to do with all that. And he went to Scripture. One of the first things he did was he stopped taking a salary from his church. Second thing he did was he added up all the church had paid him in salary for the 25 years he had been their pastor and he paid the church back every dime of it. He set up charities and foundations 
And he and his wife today practice what is called reverse tithing. Do you know what reverse tithing is? You live on 10% and give 90% away. Did you hear what I just said? You live on 10% and give 90% away. I would say that's a man who understands God's place and his place in the universe. And that everything is God's. And everything a part of his life is God's. I would say he gets it. Now, I don't know. I doubt. I don't know. If, 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 you, are, if you are in this position, I don't know about it, okay? I don't know if there's anyone in this room that can live on 10% of what you make and give 90% away. I don't know if you make that kind of money. I don't know. Do you? I don't. I don't think you do either. But I do know this. I do know that a lot of us act like we own all of it and God owns none of it. A lot of reasons Christians tithe and give beyond the tithe. And many of us in this room, myself included, give beyond the tithe and have for years. A lot of reasons we do that. Don't have time to talk about all that today. But the foundational reason is because it's something practical the Scripture teaches us to do that says, God, we recognize who you are and who we are in this universe and that you own it all. Not just the tithe, but everything. And God... We acknowledge that and we will not fight with you about your place and our place in this universe. That's at the heart of it. One last passage I want to draw our attention to. Psalm 147 verses 8 and following. It's talking about God, and, 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 and when it says who covers, it's well, God. The answer is God. God's the one. So it's like God who covers. Who co- God who, who covers the heavens with clouds. Now look at the verse. And who provides rain for the earth. God who, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. And, and, and God who, who gives the beast its food and to the young ravens which cry. He feeds them. Now notice this, he does not delight in the strength of the horse and he does not take pleasure in the legs of man. When you, when you read that, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with Old Testament uh, way of saying things, you're, what? God take, you, you don't get that. Here's what he's saying. Now get this. God, the thing that, that pleases God most is not the strength of a horse and all that it can do. The thing that pleases God most is is not a man and all of his skills and talents and ability and swiftness and all. You know, what you and I are able to do and accomplish and control and achieve, that's not what really gets God excited. You know what pleases God? Hmm? The Lord favors those who fear him and those who wait for his loving Kindness. The Hebrew word fear is to have this incredible sense of awe and reverence for God. 
so much on reverence for God that it shapes how we live, how we think, how we make decisions. It moves us. It motivates us. It controls us. You're not living with reverence and awe for God if you're arguing about His place in the universe and His place in your life. You're not living with awe and reverence for God when you want to fight God all the time and not obey Him. Reverence and awe of God is so much more than simply an emotion. It's easy to fake an emotion. It's easy for emotions to cover up reality. What makes my wife know I love her is not because I say it all the time enthusiastically, and I do, and you should, to yours, but it's how I treat her. Love is seen in how we live. So is reverence for God. And then he says what God really favors, what pleases God, God takes pleasure in, is those who hope or wait in his loving kindness and his mercy. And that Hebrew word is the picture of you wait with expectation. In other words, your relationship with God is such you don't give up because of circumstances. You don't take your ball and run home because life is hard. You do like Joseph in the book of Genesis, Genesis who was faithful to God and how he lived all those years while in prison until God rescued him and did something great with his life. A lot of times we don't see what God's ultimate purpose is because we quit, we give up, we don't wait, we don't expect. Why? Because we've lost our reverence for God. Listen, reverence for God is not about, about, about just giving praise. Reverence for God is not about being quiet in a worship service. Reverence for God is your life is controlled by His Lordship. That's reverence for God. And it shows itself in obedience. The kind of obedience that says, God, I'm going to obey you and wait for you with expectation and hope no matter what. So as I wrap up, here's my question. Does your lifestyle, does my lifestyle indicate that we know God's place and our place in this universe? Our relationships and how we treat people. What we do with our talents to serve God. What we do with our money, whether we tithe, whether we're generous. How we spend our time. Does our lifestyle reflect that we know God's place and our place? Or does it reflect that we're still arguing with God about it? Which is it? Which is it? The invitation this morning... Is simple. I'm challenging each of us to settle the argument. In other words, I'm challenging each of us to stop arguing and say, God, I know who you are, 
and who I am. And I'm special. Jesus is the evidence of that. And I'm thankful. But Lord, I'm still not the center of the universe. You hold it in your hand. I don't. And this big old world and everything in it, including me, is yours. It's not mine. And when you get that, when you really get that, suddenly life starts making sense. Suddenly it starts making sense. So will you kneel here at the front and say, God, I get it. Will you take your hands off this big old world God created and say, God, it's not mine. It's yours. And everything that's in my life, it's not mine. It's yours. And that includes my life. My life, Jesus, as a disciple, belongs to you. Not me. Belongs to you. Let's stand. Father, as we sing this hymn, your spirit is speaking. And I pray that men and women and young people would not only hear your voice, but would, would obey you, their Lord, and do as you are leading them to do right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You come and pray. Come and join this church. Come and give your life to Christ. Come and talk to one of these pastors. You come right now while we sing.